Great to see you, Purpose Church. I praise God for how he is using you around the world and right here at home. I just got word that our Awana Children's Ministry just added children in the Philippines uh, to their Zoom ministry. So now they reach children from the Philippines and the country of Oman, along with children from Arizona, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, Virginia, Washington, and California from San Diego to Sacramento. And uh, here at home, we've now dropped off uh, snacks for encouragement at 10 different hospitals or doctor's offices. So here's Pastor Lisa with a group of medical personnel at one of our uh, drop-offs. And you multiply that by 100 or even 1,000, and that's what you as a church have been up to. And I just praise God for how he's used you and for your faithfulness. Now, many of you may have received a letter from me in the past few days about our 150th building campaign. It included a brochure, and we want to get this in your hands. This is so inspirational. When I read this about the history of our church, and here we are at 150 years and the, and the future and the vision we have, oh my goodness, I just got so excited, and I want everybody to get a chance uh, to read this brochure and to respond to it. Uh, we're hoping to raise enough money over the next several months to do the work planned for the worship center so that by the time we're past the pandemic, uh, we can celebrate in the redesigned and expanded uh, space. And so if you did not receive a copy of the mailing, would you please email us at info at purposechurch.com or uh, call the church, and we can email to you or, e or uh, just regular mail you the information, and would you please prayerfully consider what you can give and to pledge above and beyond your regular tithes and giving for the general fund. You know, we can completely do this project, as huge as it seems, we can do it if each one of us just gives a third more each year for the next three years. So uh, give all that we gave in 2020 oh, uh, over and above our regular tithing and giving uh, over the next three-year period. So for example, what Kimberly and I are doing, we are giving, you know, 133% of what we normally do, a third more, a third more, a third more over the next three years so that then we'll be able to fully fund this project and have it in action in order uh, to reach people for Christ and to position us uh, for the next generations that we're going to reach. So would you consider that? Because that's what, that's what we're going to do in our family. And if everybody just gave a third more each year for the next next three years, 130% of what they gave in 2020, we would be able to do this in three years' time, have all this massive project fully funded. And so would you please pray about that? Some will be able to do less, some will be able to do more. And so whatever God leads you to do, we're just so excited about the entire campaign because we know it's gonna help position Purpose Church to reach the next generations. If we have reached generation after generation for 150 years, unprecedented almost. Do you know there are only 10 other churches in national, maybe even world history that have the legacy of our church for doing it at the, the size we've been doing it, at the, uh, at the rate we've been doing it, at the growth we've been doing it, at, at the, for the impact that we've been doing for as long as we've been doing it. And we've only identified 11 churches, including our own, in all of United States history and maybe even world history that God has done this unique thing through. And so I just hope you'll join me in supporting this campaign because together we're building for generations to come.
Now today we're continuing our Jesus is Greater Than series with Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 through chapter 2 verse 4. Jesus is the Lord of our purpose. Uh, Priscilla Shire uh, writes, uh, Jesus is the prize, not his direction, guidance, and clarity, not even his comfort, relief, and encouragement. Just him. He is the one who encompasses all you're searching for. We think we know what we want. In reality, we should want nothing else but to be completely in line with his desires for us and his purposes for our generation. So today we're going to talk about how to shepherd your flock. And the first thing you need to do is to identify your flock. You say, uh, Pastor Glenn, what are you talking about, your, your flock? Well, we saw a couple of Sundays ago that in order to win a Super Bowl, you need to play offense and defense. And to fulfill God's purpose for your life, you need to f- play both offense and defense. Now, playing offense is reaching people for Christ, and playing defense is shepherding the people in your life who are already uh, following Christ. Or another way to say it is, offense is expanding the flock. Offense equals expanding the flock, and defense equals protecting the flock. So that leads us to the difference between your oikos and your flock. Now, let me explain how I'm differentiating between those two. Your oikos, a Greek word for household, we talk about that all the time, the, the about 10 people in what we call your sphere of influence. You know, today we talk a lot about influencers. Well, everybody has spiritual influence on the people around you. We all are influencers for eternity. And so there's about 10 people in what we call your oikos. These are people that you work with, go to school with, in your neighborhood, in your family, uh, that you uh, do sports with or recreate with. And your oikos, uh, we talk about as being non-believers, not yet following Jesus. And so who are the 10 people in your realm or sphere of influence that are not yet following Jesus? And so your assignment from God is to go to heaven and to do everything everything, to sacrifice everything, to do everything you can to bring those 10 people with you to heaven. And if everybody did that, and around the world, every Christ follower, uh, each one reached their, the oikos, the people around them that do not yet follow Jesus, everybody would be reached for Christ. And so your assignment from God is to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you. Now, what I'm talking about today is your flock, And your flock is about 10 people, again, within your sphere of influence, people you work with, people you go to school with, in your family, your your children, uh, your closest friends, your small group at church. If you teach a children's Sunday school class, the little kids in your Sunday school class, or Awana, or if you're a Sunday school teacher, or Bible study leader, or small group leader, these are 10 people that are already following Jesus. You see the differentiation? Your oikos, those are the people that are in your sphere of influence that are not yet following Jesus. Your flock is people within your sphere of influence that are already following a Jesus. And so your assignment for your oikos is go to heaven and do everything you can to influence them to follow Christ so they'll join you in heaven. Your assignment from God uh, for, your, for your flock is to shepherd and pastor them on their way to heaven. 
So your oikos, reach them so they'll go to heaven. Your flock are people that are already going to heaven. And so you are called a shepherd. You say, I thought it was just pastors that did that. No, 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 no. Uh, we are all under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, Jesus. And so each one of us have our own sphere of influence. Now, sometimes with pastors like myself and the other pastors here, we pastor over a church. But there are under shepherds all through our church uh, here at, at Purpose Church that are shepherding their flock their sphere of influence. And so what I want you to do, if you have your study outline uh, there, or if you just want to do a piece of paper, you could do this. List the 10 people in your flock, people that are already following Jesus that you spend most of your time and life with, okay? You have most influence, and these are people that are already following G uh, Jesus. And we're going to look now at five ways that Paul in this passage in Colossians says that you can shepherd your flock. Now, the first thing is to suffer. If you shepherd your flock, it will involve suffering. You say, Glenn, what are you talking about? Boy, any time that you care about the eternal destination of people and care about their spiritual well-being, it will involve a certain amount of sacrifice and effort and, 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 and suffering. Uh, Paul talks about this in verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I will fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, Paul is not saying here that Christ's suffering was inadequate to save him. He's not saying that. Paul is not saying that there is a predetermined amount of suffering that must be paid by all believers. He's not saying that. I believe what he's saying here is that suffering is unavoidable in bringing the good news of Christ to the world. In reaching your oikos will involve suffering. Shepherding and caring for your flock will involve suffering as well. Uh, there's just a sacrifice that will go with it. I mean, it's, it's so interesting to me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul lists all the trouble he had gone through, the physical trouble. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, and in danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. But then he ends it, all these terrible things and sufferings. But here's what he ends it with in verse 28. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He includes it in the list, right, with being almost stoned to death, with being lashed, with going to prison. He includes it in the list of all these things. I face daily the pressure of my concern for the flock. And, and you will suffer the same thing as you shepherd your flock. I believe that suffering is unavoidable, also unavoidable, when you're shepherding your flock, you will suffer and sacrifice as you do that. You know, if you want to avoid suffering, then avoid caring about the eternal destination of your oikos and avoid caring 
about the spiritual condition of your flock. Let me repeat that. If anybody wants to avoid suffering, uh, avoid caring about the eternal destination of your oikos, and avoid caring about the spiritual condition of your flock. Love and care and concern always lead to suffering. It leads to pressure. It leads to concern. It leads to suffering. Uh, that's why Irma Bomback, I, I love her quote, in which, and you've heard me say this before, it's one of my favorites. It's hard to be happier than your saddest child. Uh, if you have children, or if you have grandchildren, whichever of your children or grandchildren is going through the hardest thing in their life right now, it is hard to be, as a parent or as a grandparent, to be happier than that particular uh, child or grandchild. That's kind of the, the lid to your, to your happiness in life. And the same thing is true for your flock. It's hard to be happier than whichever in your flock, if you really care for them, if you have concern for your friends and, and, and the people around you that, that you are trying to reach for Christ so they'll go to heaven uh, instead of hell, or the people that you're trying to shepherd on their way to heaven that are just going through hard things in life. There's a price to be paid for being a shepherd of a flock. Love and concern and care always lead to suffering. Um, love and care and concern is what led Jesus to the cross. Johnny Erickson uh, Tata, uh, who has suffered a great deal in her life, writes this about Jesus. You don't have to be alone in your hurt. Comfort is yours. Joy is an option. And it's all been made possible by your Savior. He went without comfort so that you might have it. He postponed joy so you might share in it. He willingly chose isolation so you might never be alone in your hurt and sorrow. You comfort your flock with the comfort you receive from your shepherd, uh, Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the first thing that shepherding your flock will involve is suffering. The second thing we're to do for our flock is to serve. Let's look at verse 25. I've become its servant by the commission. I've become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. We are to serve those in our flock. Uh, Jesus was our example. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that is just a totally what we call a counterintuitive paradigm shift. Say, Glenn, Glenn, what are you talking about? Well, I just made it up, so don't, don't feel bad if you don't know what I'm talking about. I just like, kind of made it up on the spot. A counterintuitive paradigm shift. What do I mean by that? Well, counterintuitive means it, it's not what you think would be true. It's against your intuition saying this must be true, but no, it's, it's, it's counter to that. And a paradigm shift means the way you look at things shifts. That counterintuitive paradigm shift that changes everything. You see, the, the, the world that we live in says that the way you want to be happiest and have joy is to get as many people as possible to serve you. But Jesus 
in the gospel turns things upside down and says, no, 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 no. It's in serving that you find joy, not in being served. The world around us says, we'll get as many people as possible uh, to give to you, and then you'll be happy. And Jesus turns that upside down. He says, no, 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 no. The real joy comes not from being given to, but to give. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, and not to be given to, but to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's where you find joy in life. It's counterintuitive. It's a paradigm shift. But, but that's, where you, that's where the joy is. It's in serving. It's, it's in giving. Is the Christian life meant to be a cruise ship or a battleship? It's meant to be a battleship. A cruise ship is going through the Christian life. Just, you know, what's a cruise ship? Do you remember that pre-pandemic? You know, remember those things they used to do? Well, uh, that was, it seems so long ago. But on a cruise ship, everything's about you being served, your needs being taken care of, things being given to you. But on a battleship, it's all about fulfilling the mission of that battleship. Uh, it's about serving on that battleship. It's about giving yourself to the cause and to the purpose of that battleship. That's why one of our core values here at Purpose Church is everyone is designed to serve. So let me ask you the question, who in your flock right now, just let the Holy Spirit whisper that to you, who on your list of 10 do you need to serve this upcoming week? Who, who, who needs you uh, to serve them? Now back to verse 25 again, before we leave it, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. This is a great word right here, commission. You have been commissioned. Uh, the Greek word is oikonomian, uh, which means the divine plan to reach the world for Christ. Just think about that. God has given you a commission Think of that, it's out of bed in the morning, doesn't it? Don't ever think your life doesn't count. Don't ever think your life doesn't have meaning. Don't ever think, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a commission. He has a master plan to reach the world for Christ, a master plan to invade this world uh, with the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus came to start this movement to take over with the kingdom of God uh, in this culture, in this world. And you have a commission. You have been commissioned as part of that divine historical plan down through human history. Oh my goodness. That'll make you just stand up straight, won't it? It'll make you you're proud. You're, you're part of his master plan. You've been commissioned into his, his army, into his navy, into his spiritual marine corps. Uh, verse 26. The mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so it was, it was a mystery. When Christ was going to come into the world, the prophets had foretold it uh, with great detail. Uh, Satan was dreading it. And yet Satan didn't know exactly when Jesus was going to invade planet Earth to take territory from him and didn't know where it was going to happen. He didn't know where it was going to happen in Bethlehem. He didn't know when it was going to happen, when it was going to happen. It reminds me of the D-Day invasion of Europe in uh, June 6, 1944. And so Hitler had control 
of the, of the European continent. Uh, the Nazis had control of all of Europe except for Great Britain over here. And in, and, and in Great Britain, were gathering these allied troops. They were all gathering, and Hitler was desperately trying to figure out, uh, when is the, the attack going to happen? When is the invasion to retake this territory? When is it going to happen? And where is it going to be happening? And it was a great mystery. Uh, here's a picture of Dwight Eisenhower uh, with the troops. He was in charge of all these allied troops. And here they are in, in Great Britain. And it was, it was shrouded in mystery. It was shrouded in secrecy because they wanted to land in Europe in a place that Hitler did not expect. They wanted to do it when he did not expect it. And so this massive army was built for this invasion. And here's the quote that Dwight Eisenhower said to his troops the, the, the night before they went into battle. He says, the eyes of the world are upon you. And I want to say to you, Christ follower, that when you follow Jesus, you get a commission as part of the greatest movement in all of world history. You're part of the greatest thing that's ever existed, which is the kingdom of God. God retaking enemy territory from, from Satan. And, and the eyes of heaven, the eyes of the world were upon the allied troops on, on the night before D-Day invasion. But God says, the eyes of heaven are upon you. Christ's follower, he's been, you've been given this strategic commission within God's master plan. And the eyes of heaven are all on you. And then there's that iconic picture of the troop carrier and the doors open and, and, and the, you, you come to Christ and you get your purpose, you get your commission, and then the gate goes down and here you are invading enemy territory, taking families back from Satan, taking marriages back from Satan, taking souls back from Satan, taking brokenness back from Satan and addictions back from Satan. Here you are under withering, suffering enemy fire, retaking territory. Oh my, does that get you fired up or what? And we've been doing this at Purpose Church for over 150 years. We have been in this battle. And by the grace of God, we will continue to sacrifice in order to see that this thing that is close to being unprecedented in national or world history that God has done in our church, that it continues for another 150 years or until Jesus comes back. All right, the third thing Paul says to do to your, for your flock is to challenge them. He says in verse 21, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now this word admonishing means warning. And it applies in this context, not to fellow Christians in your flock. It applies to non-Christians, not people that are not yet following Jesus in your oikos. If they have the disease of sin, which is going to lead them to death eternally, and we have the vaccine of Christ, which will lead them to life for eternity, the loving thing to do is to admonish them, to warn them with humility and gentleness and grace and love. But if they have the disease of sin, the people around us in our sphere of influence that are not yet following Jesus, if, if they have the disease of sin that's gonna eternally separate them from God, and we've got the vaccine in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the loving thing to do is to admonish, uh, to warn. But we also need to challenge the sheep of the flock. 
uh, we need to admonish them and to teach them when anyone ever wanders away. Is there somebody in your flock right now that is wandering from being in the center of God's will? They need to be challenged. They need to be uh, admonished about that. Alayla Gifty Akita says, sheep without a shepherd go astray. Sheep without a shepherd go astray. Proverbs 27, verse six, uh, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Uh, an enemy will just say to you whatever you wanna hear because they don't really care about you. But if you have a true friend, a Christian friend, uh, a Christ-following friend that, that cares about you, It'll be hard, it'll be awkward, but they, they'll, they'll wound you. I praise God for the fellow followers of Jesus that have wounded me on a regular basis, have admonished me, have warned me. Those wounds have hurt, but they've been trusted and they've been a blessing and they've helped me when I've wandered from the center of God's will to get back in the center once again. A few verses later, uh, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And in Ephesians 4, verse 15, Paul says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we challenge each other. We, we give the truth, but we do it in love. And the result will be we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So who in your flock right now, just let the Holy Spirit whisper to you right now, who on that list uh, needs to be challenged right now because they, they like a sheep, have gone astray uh, from the center of, of God's will. And then verse 29, to this end, Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And the Greek words that Paul uses here are, first of all, kopio, which means wearisome toil. Can I ask you a question? Almost a year into the pandemic, almost a year into COVID, are you experiencing wearisome toil? Are you weary? I talk to so many people that are weary. And the more they care about other people, the more they care about their oikos, the more they care about their flock, the, the more wearisome it is. Are you a, a parent trying to keep your child and your student engaged on Zoom classrooms? You're, you're experiencing wearisome toil. Are you a teacher on the other end of that trying to teach kids wearisome toil? Has it been hard to do your job during COVID? Are you, are you without a job because of COVID? Wearisome toil. Are you tired of, of doing the protections against COVID? Wearisome toil. Are you, are, you, are you tired of being afraid of COVID? Wearisome toil. Are you, are you weary of debating with family member and friends about COVID? Wearisome toil. And then the other word he uses here is agonizomenos, uh, from which we get our word agony. Uh, it means intense exertion. It's, it's an athletic term from the arena, either the gladiatorial battles or the Olympics in the, uh, in, the, in the arena. And so we continue to have, even though we experience wearisome toil, uh, toil we continue to have an intense exertion to fulfill the purpose that God has given to us. This calling, this commission from God, it's our Super Bowl. It's our Olympics uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says, Let us not become weary in doing good, 
For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's our flock. They're part of the family of believers. And then the fourth thing we're supposed to do for our flock is to encourage them. Uh, Colossians, now we're in chapter two. We've left chapter one, and now we're in chapter two. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. We are to encourage our flock and help our flock to stay united in love. This word for encourage is periclethosin, uh, which means to call to one side. We need to come alongside each other uh, to comfort and to encourage. That's why one of our uh, core values here at Purpose Church is uh, we are better together. We're better together. We come along each other's side to comfort each other and to encourage each other. I want to steal a quote uh, that Pastor Eric used a couple of weeks ago that I just love this quote so much by S. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. I mean, this guy here is a genius. I'm listening to anything he has to say. Do you know I've eaten chicken sandwiches at, at Chick-fil-A? I'd never had one of their milkshakes until a month ago. Oh, wow. And so here he is with his wife sipping on one of those. I, I don't know that I can think about anything else for the rest of this message except that milkshake right there. But I love his quote. Who needs encouragement? Anyone who is breathing. Anyone who is breathing. And especially a year into COVID, everybody around you that's, that's breathing needs encouragement. Again, think of your list. Who in your flock needs to be encouraged? Who needs encouragement? Let's let the Holy Spirit whisper that to you right now. Which of those names on that list of 10 in your flock needs to be encouraged? Uh, verse two so that they may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, why are there so many usages of the word mystery and understanding and wisdom and knowledge, particularly knowledge, in the book of Colossians? What's, what's going on there? Well, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Eric talked about Gnosticism, which was the main false teaching that Paul was dealing with in Colossae. And you can reverse engineer and see from Paul's response, you can learn a lot about Gnosticism by how Paul is, is attacking it and, and dealing with it here in Colossians. And Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, gnosis, um, the G is silent, gnosis, which means knowledge. And so these false teachers, they taught that knowledge was the way to be saved. And it was a mystery of uh, this knowledge that only the elite, only the elite few, the enlightened ones could know and understand, hence Gnosticism. And yet in contrast to that, Paul says, you know what, God has not put this Gnosis, this knowledge, this, this it made it a mystery where it's on the top shelf where you, only the few can get up and reach it. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ is on, is on the bottom shelf where all of us can have access 
to how to be right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through his son Jesus. I love that phrase in the gospels where it says, the common people heard Jesus gladly. It says the people of all types that went to hear Jesus, the common people heard him gladly. It was not some elite enlightened that could only access this knowledge if you were special and, and, and had, had access to that. No, it is, it is there for everyone. For God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Which leads us to our final way to shepherd your flock, and that is to protect it. And I talked about this last Sunday. And, you know, I don't often say this, but if you missed the sermon last Sunday, please, please go, go online here at the church and watch that sermon. I consider it one of the most, if not the most important sermons I've preached in my 40 years as a pastor. Uh, because I, it was all about protecting the flock from false teaching. We talked about another gospel that's competing today with the true gospel. So I encourage you to do that. And so we protect our flock. Who right now in your flock is beginning to be influenced by a drive-by attacks of Christianity on social media? They're being influenced by that new gospel that I talked about last Sunday. They're being, they're being influenced by certain things that are causing them to drift and, and to wander from the flock. Our final verse is verse four, chapter two, verse four. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you. Who in your flock is being deceived by fine-sounding arguments? They sound so smart, but when you dig beneath the surface, uh, they're not that at all. Okay, uh, Arthur, who's a, just a tremendous uh, Bible teacher down, down through the years, just uh, absolutely, uh, before there was a Beth Moore, there was Kay Arthur. And, uh, and she writes, if sheep do not have the constant care of a shepherd, they will go the wrong way, unaware of the dangers at hand. They've been known to nibble themselves right off the side of a mountain. And so because sheep are sheep, they need shepherds to care for them. The welfare sheep depends solely upon the care they get from their shepherd. Therefore, the better the shepherd, the healthier the sheep. Uh, who in your flock needs to be uh, protected? Let's just close now with 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. A kind of a commissioning of all of you watching this right now. All of us that are shepherds over the flock uh, that God has placed within our sphere of influence. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away.